good seat. You look at Uncle Scott. And I've been meaning to, to tell y'all that uh, Cynthia Freeman, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm feeling rather, I don't know, I'm feeling a, a, uh, some type of uh, special <laughs> way. Cynthia Freeman, uh, months ago, not long after my dear brother, Deacon Freddie Freeman, went home to be with the Lord, she pulled me to the side and said, uh, I want to bless you with some of Freddie's suits. And so uh, I think there was about eight of them. And uh, she said, now, Freddie and I were not the same size. He was a little taller than me and a little slimmer than I am. Uh, she said, now, you take them to this place and all the alterations on me and Freddie. So I took all those suits to this place, and they altered them. This is one of them, by the way. Uh, and I've been wearing them sporadically, mixed in with my own, but I've been meaning to say that. And I asked her, do you mind, because I want to let everybody know that this, I'm in the spirit of Freddie this morning. <laughs> so thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I, uh, that brother. That was so good. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love and kindness that you always extend towards us. Uh, my prayer, Lord, now is, as always, that it would be all of you and none of me that you would increase as I decrease, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yeah, do that to you. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to get past, but I couldn't help it. Um, would you stand with me as we continue our journey uh, in the book through the book of Romans? Uh, we are uh, in Romans chapter 8 today, and we will be reading the end of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And so would you join me as I read from Romans 8, uh, 31 through 39? I'm reading from the English Standard Version, whatever version, and that's the one that's on the screen, but whatever version you have is fine. Uh, Romans 8, 31 through 39, it, it reads this way. Uh, it starts in, in an interesting way with the question, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am not sure that, ne for I am sure rather, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor prince nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I feel like I can just give a benediction. Everybody will be happy with that. But I'm sorry to, to, to be the bearer of bad news. To some, I got a few things to say. <laughs> starting with this, starting with this, the theme that I like to pull from this text is this, not just conquerors, not just conquerors. I want to read to you some names and talk about them a little bit as we open this sermon. Uh, first one is this name, T. Moore, a.k.a. Tamerlan. He was a Turkish ruler from the 14th century. Timur oversaw the restoration of the Mongol Empire of Genghis Khan. He was a revered military leader and conquered large parts of West, South, and Central Asia to become the most powerful ruler in the Muslim world. As founder of the Timurid dynasty, his army was feared across the continent. Hannibal Barca. Hannibal, simply known as Hannibal, famous for his historic exploits against the Romans. His, he is widely considered to be the Roman Empire's greatest adversary, leading the, Carth the Carth Carthaginian forces against Rome in the Second Punic War. Living 200 years before the birth of Christ, Hannibal is best remembered for marching elephants across the Alps, but in military schools throughout history, he has been used as a shining example of a master tactician. He fought the Romans with smaller, poorly equipped armies, but constantly came out on top. Napoleon Bonaparte, standing at just five and a half feet tall. Napoleon might not have been the most physically imposing, but on the battlefield, he was unmatched in his military prowess. Living from 1769 to 1821, he rose to prominence in the European wars which followed the French Revolution. First as a general and later the emperor of France and the king of Italy, Napoleon spent the best part of two decades leading his armies to war across the continent, recording countless famous victories along the way. At his peak, the little man reigned over more than 70 million people. Francisco Pizarro, he was a Spanish conquistador who lived from 1471 to 1541. He led three expeditions across the Atlantic, and on the third one, he defeated much of the Incan Empire with no more than 160 men on horseback. Taking advantage of more advanced technology, Pizarro altered the face of history when he conquered modern Peru. Cyrus the Great. Cyrus conquered the Median Empire and Lydia, be 
becoming Persian king by 546 B.C. Seven years later, Cyrus defeated the Babylonians and liberated the Jews, and by the time of his death in 530 B.C., he was the ruler of the largest kingdom in the world the world had ever seen. Not only was he almost unbeatable on the battlefield, his political leadership is also evidenced by the fact that his empire, which spanned three continents, would live on for a long time after his death because of the infrastructure he put in place. Julius Caesar. Caesar was the most famous ruler of history's most famous empire. Julius Caesar led the armies of the Roman Republic to victories across Africa and Europe. The subject of a Shakespeare play, the respected military and political leader was eventually assassinated by Brutus in 44 B.C. But in the years before Caesar, he had used his military might to extend the reaches of the Roman Empire to territories far and wide. Attila the Hun. Attila the Hun, the leader of the feared Huns. Attila lived in the 5th century with an empire that stretched from Central Asia right across to modern Germany. He was one of the most fearsome enemies of the Western and Eastern Roman empires, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great once remarked, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. He was a lion-like leader. By the age of 30, Alexander had conquered much of the known world through military force. He took down the mighty Persian kingdom and his empire spread from Gibraltar to Punjab. Well, uh, while he also made Greek the prominent language of his time. He revolutionized the art of war during this period of ancient history. Genghis Khan, the founder of the Mongol Empire, the largest contiguous empire in history. He created such an empire by uniting many of the nomadic tribes and confederations in northern, northeastern Asia while also asserting his dominance with a sword in his hand. He lived from 1162 to 1227 A.D. In his lifetime, he conquered 4,860,000 square miles, more than any other ruler in history. And then lastly, Hari Singh Nawa. He lived from 1791 to 1837 and was commander-in-chief of the Sikh Empire's army. His military campaign throughout the Middle East brought order to turbulent areas and suppressed various uprisings. Despite having much smaller numbers, he defeated armies across India and restored the territories of the Sikhs by employing ingenious tactics and unparalleled courage. The Greek writer Euripides is famously quoted as saying, Ten soldiers wisely led will beat a hundred without a head. Ten soldiers wisely led will beat a hundred without a head. Hari Singh Nalwa is a testament to this. This list, these names I've just shared with you and some of their stories, this list makes up a list of the top ten conquerors in the history of humanity. Top ten in order, in descending order, from ten to one. 
now are being number one on the list. It's likely, though, as I read that list and completed it, that you noticed, as I did while compiling and researching the list, uh, a glaring omission of one name that should stand at atop any list that attempts to prioritize the greatest conquerors in world history. Y'all know where I'm going with this. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is missing from the list. He should be atop the list. After all, Scripture reminds us that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He is the greatest conqueror ever known to man. There has been no greater conquest in all of history than the one that took place on Good Friday and culminated on Easter Sunday morning. It was, as we know, as we look back, it was the greatest conquest known to man. And unlike the others on the prior list, this conquest uh, completed by Jesus Christ didn't happen solely because of power, nor by might. It was rather by his spirit of love that he has and had for the world. Uh, so the omission of Jesus from the top of the list is indeed glaring and obvious. But today I want to talk to you about an omission from that same list that's probably not so obvious. That omission is the followers of Christ. Followers of Christ collectively should be on that list. Yes, this category of people, which, by the way, includes everybody present in this room who claims to be, who, who, who has declared themselves a follower of God, uh, should be on that list. Uh, it could also, it, sh it should fall, Jesus and his followers should fall in line right above those names that I mentioned before. Jesus should be first, and right after Jesus collectively should be all of us who claim the name of Jesus. We should be ahead of Attila the Hun. We should be ahead of Caesar. We should be ahead of Hannibal and all those names that make up that prestigious list of conquerors, Jesus first, all of us collectively second. Uh, the list uh, that Jesus and his followers belong on uh, of conquerors uh, should be made up of that. It's, it's a list that is uh, not titled the same as the first list. So there's a logical reason for the, for the omission of Jesus and his followers on that previous list. And that reason is because they actually belong on a different list. I say they, uh, we are included in, in that. There's a different list uh, that Jesus and us belong on. Remember that I said that the list that I read to you opening this up was a list of the ten, top ten conquerors in history. That was that list. Well, the list that Jesus and his followers belong on is not a list of conquerors, but rather a list of more than conquerors. 
It's a totally separate list. It stands alone. In fact, not only is a separate list that stands alone, it is quite an exclusive list. There are only two on this list. Jesus, number one, and collectively all of his followers, number two. Nobody else is on that list more than conquerors. Uh, From then, since we understand that I've, I've shared that with you, from the and I'm making this word up, so excuse me. From the preciousest, is that a word, Ms. Brandt? Preciousest. Can I make that up today? All right, thank you. That's, that's, our, that's our favorite teacher. And so I defer to her. Uh, but from, from this preciousest passage, verses 31 through 39, of the preciousest chapter. I'm going to keep messing it up, Ms. Brandt, so excuse me. Don't give me an F today. This pre- from this preciousest passage, verses 31 through 39, of this preciousest chapter in Scripture, Romans chapter 8. I want to highlight what might be the preciousest verse in this passage. Now, I can't say that no more because my tongue's getting tired a little bit. Verse 37, if, 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 if I could land somewhere, if I could have one to take with me, on a, on a deserted island, and I didn't have anything else, and my memory went blank. There were two, there would be two that I'd like to take with me. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those of us that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Romans 8, 37, mm, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. The text says this. Some of your versions say nay. This version says no. It's an answer to a question, by the way. We'll deal with that in a minute. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Uh, W.B.J. Martin said this. He said, hate can make a man a conqueror, can fill him with furious energy, but only love can make him more than a conqueror. There's a distinction between the two. There's a difference between a conqueror and a more than conqueror. So if that's the case, let's talk about the differences. Can we do that? A conqueror has to fight his own battles. Let me say it again because somebody didn't catch it. A conqueror, because some of you are satisfied with being a conqueror, but I'm not because I want to claim Romans 8, 37, and take, that takes me to another level. A conqueror, because I know I'm not able, I'm not, I'm not fit, I'm not equipped to fight for myself. A conqueror has to fight his own battle. But a more than conqueror knows that the battle belongs to somebody else. There's a difference. There's a difference between the two. Uh, here's another difference. For the, for the conqueror, defeat is possible. I could stop right there, couldn't I? For the conqueror, that's the reason why I don't, I'm not satisfied. I don't want to just be a conqueror because if I'm just a conqueror, it means that defeat is a possibility. But for the more than con- conqueror, victory is the only possible outcome. It's the only possible outcome. Victory is the only possibility. Uh, you may suffer a setback or seem to fall behind the opponent at times, but it's like watching a replay of a game that you already know the outcome of. You know, Kimmy, you ever watch the Cowboys when they won, which is not that often nowadays. 
You ever, you ever TiVo it when you couldn't watch it, but you already knew what the outcome was because somebody told you the final score, and it was one of them games when the Cowboys won. I'm a Cowboy fan, too. I'm not picking on Kimmy. It's, it's tough times for us right now, but I think we're turning a corner. But there have been times when I – so y'all laughing. Don't laugh at us. <laughs> there have been times when they played, and somebody told me when I couldn't watch the game – that they won, and, but I T-voted, and when I got home and began to watch it, because in the back of my mind, I knew the outcome when they threw an interception. Hello, somebody. I wasn't worried about it. When they fumbled the ball, I wasn't worried about it. When the other team got up 14 to nothing, I was not concerned at all because in the back of my mind, somebody had already told me that the Cowboys won the game. Well, can I bring it around? When we're in a battle against the enemy who's hot on our trail. It does not concern me when he gets up 14 to nothing. It does not concern me when there's a fumble, when there's an interception. Because I've read the book and I know how the story ends. I'm a more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And so there's a difference between a conqueror and a more than a conqueror. Here's another one. A conqueror has to wait until the battle is over and the victory is secured to celebrate. I mean, just a, just a conqueror. He has to wait, Brian, to see how, what the outcome is going to be before he starts to celebrate. But a more than a conqueror can dance in advance. A more than a conqueror can celebrate before the thing even ends because there's confidence that victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. Can I help you? I told Satan to get thee behind because big, I don't care how far ahead you are, what kind of advantage you have on me, oh devil, I told Satan to get thee behind and I'm dancing in advance of the final outcome because I know what it's going to be. There's a difference between a conqueror and a more than a conqueror. The phrase, the phrase more than conqueror is a translation from the Greek of one word. One word, one Greek word. It's hypernikeo. Everybody say hypernikeo. It, it, it's one word, hypernikeo. We get the word Nike from it. Y'all familiar with the word Nike? Nike, which means victory. Uh, we get that word, Nike, from this Greek word. Uh, Nike, you'll, you'll recall, uh, in Greek mythology, Nike was a goddess who personified victory. But this word hypernikeo is not just victory. It's hyper-victory, hyper-Nike, right? It's, it, here it is. It's, it's, it's surpassing victory. It's to overwhelmingly conquer. It's to be excessively victorious. Boy, somebody ought to need to help me with this. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging stuff? To be excessively victorious, to prevail, not just momentarily, but to prevail completely and continuously. That's what this Greek word, this phrase means, to, to prevail completely and continuously. So, like last week, I believe we are presented with the question that doesn't actually appear as a question as we ponder this 
Uh, but, like, but, but, but unlike last week, we also have an obvious answer to this question that we had to mine for last week. We had to discover the fact there was even a question involved. And then we had to mine for the answer to the question. Uh, this text presents us with a question that also, in 37, gives us an obvious answer. question is this. What makes the first part of verse 37, put it back up on the screen for me, Cody. What makes the first part of, ver of verse 37 true? What makes the first part of this verse true? How, in other words, how do we become more than conquerors? What makes the first part, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. What makes that true? Well, what makes this true, the answer is right, right there before your eyes. It's the second part of the verse. Through Christ, through him who loved us. That's what makes the first part of the verse true. Through him that loved us. Here's another question that comes out of that. How does Paul in this passage help us flesh that out? How does he help us understand what it, uh, uh, him, through him who loved us? How does he help us to flesh that out in the text? Let's take a look at it. I believe he does it in each verse. He helps us to get a better understanding of what that means in each verse. Beginning in verse 31. Here's the first thing I think he reveals about through him that loved us and how that makes the first part of 37 true and that we are more than conquerors. It's in 31, and this is, this is what it is, because God is for us. Because God is for us. 31 says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the first level of unpacking what Paul said in 37, right? Here's, because God is for us. Since the entire passage closes, uh, since this entire passage closes out the first half of this letter, the these things in 31 is likely a reference to everything Paul has written to this point. So then let's review chapters 1 through 3. Paul reminds us that all men are sinners in desperate need of an available Savior. Verse, chapters 4 and 5, he reminds us that true righteousness is available through faith. Chapter 6, in the first part of chapter 7, he reminds us that in Christ we are dead to sin. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 24, he reminds us there will be struggles, but Christ delivers. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, he reminds us that there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, he reminds us that we've been predestined, we've been justified, we've been glorified, and all things work together for our good. And so, and so as we look and review over what Paul has already said, uh, it helps us to understand what he's talking about when he said these things in verse, in the first, in verse 31. These things are all those things he has just said. Because of everything that has been said, we know that God is for us. Because of everything that Paul has shared with us leading up to verse 31 of chapter 8, we can have confidence that God is for us. Now, let me tell you what Paul is not suggesting in, in verse 31. He's not suggesting that believers have no opponents. Right. He's not he's not in any way, in any form, shape or fashion, suggesting that we don't have an enemy that's after us. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that he's saying that since God is indeed for us, it is inconsequential 
who or what is against us because they will not prevail. That's what Paul is saying. He's not saying we don't have an enemy. He's not saying that nobody is against us. He's not saying that. He is saying that it don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter who's against us because, because uh, they will, because of God and him being with us, they will not. And I'm not talking about people, by the way. So don't leave here saying, you know, pastor was go to work tomorrow. Talking about, I know tomorrow's a holiday. Some of y'all still got to go. Don't be going to work. Talking about pastor said, that the reason why you've been giving me so much trouble is because you're against me and God's going to get you. <laughs> and you won't prevail against me. So I'm not, I'm not, and Paul's not talking about people. We have an enemy uh, that goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'm talking about that opponent. Paul says he is real, but he can't prevail. Uh, it's what the psalmist had in mind in Psalm 118, verse 6. When he said, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? But I love how David puts it in Psalm, one tw in Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. David says this. I love this. This is another one of my favorites. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers, when my enemies and my foes came against me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should rise against me, though wars should rise up against me, I will not fear. The Lord is on our side. He's on our side. One thing he says, I've asked the Lord, that will I seek out, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the days of trouble. He will hide me, the King James says, in his pavilion. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. That's the reason why I'm not concerned about the enemy, because I have a God who will hide me in his pavilion. Uh, my father, this is not in my notes, but it just hit me. My father in the ministry, Reverend Curtis, Reverend J.E. James E. Curtis, used to sing a song. And when he got to a certain place in that song, y'all that went to his funeral might remember that there was a man that had sung this song in his honor, that he would get to the part in this song, the song was when the gates swing open. And they get, when he get to the part in the song where they say, hide me, then Reverend Curtis would do this, hide me. And I just see the Lord, that's what he does. He hides me. Under, in his pavilion, under his wing, he protects me from the arrows and the darts of the enemy. David expresses it that way. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So verse 37 is true because God is for us. But also, verse 37 is true because God holds nothing from us. He holds nothing from us. It's in verse 32. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's what Paul is saying. If he gave his son, he will hold back nothing that is beneficial, that is in accordance with his will from his children. 
if he gave all that he has, he will hold back nothing that benefits his children. Second Peter 1 and 3 says this, his divine power has granted to us all things. That word all should be, it's not in all caps in the Bible, but on our, I should have made it all caps in the notes because all means all. He has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath, that hath called us to glory and virtue. He gives us. He doesn't hold anything back from us. He gives us all things. That's the reason why verse 37 is true. It's true because uh, God is for us. It's true because he holds nothing from us. Also, it's true because God justifies us. It's true because God justifies us. It's in verse 33. Verse 33 says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He justifies us, and that alone really makes us more than conquerors. He justifies us. Uh, who shall, he says, who shall bring anything against God's elect? This is, a, this is legal language. It references a formal accusation being made in a courtroom. According to Revelation 12:10, Satan is our accuser. And according to Romans 3.23, he actually has a valid case. He is our accuser, and he has a good case against us because Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So really, his case, his accusation against us, Tiave, is accurate and valid. But there is a sovereign judge that sits on the bench a sovereign judge that sits on the bench who has dismissed all charges against those who trust Christ. It's justification. It's what Isaiah references in Isaiah 58 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who would declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Nobody can condemn me because God has already found me not guilty. He's already not found me not guilty because I am guilty, but he has declared me. And you, by the way, not guilty. He justifies us. Verse 37 is true because God is for us. Verse 37 is true because he holds nothing uh, from us. Verse 37 is true because he justifies us, but it's also true because Christ intercedes for us. Christ intercedes for us. It's in verse 34. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is interceding for us. Intercede. It's the Greek word intenchkano, uh, intenchkano, intenchkano. Say it with me, intenchkano. It means to entreat, to appeal, to plead, to petition, to advocate, to intervene on behalf of another, to intervene on behalf of another. Uh, his presence, Jesus' presence at the right hand of God, which is the place of highest honor in his capacity as the one who died for sinners and rose again is, as 34 says, in itself intercession. So if he doesn't advocate or say anything else on our behalf, he has all the, the, the fact that he's seated at the right hand of God, that he died, that he got up, 
that he ascended, that he took his place at the right hand of God, that in itself means that he's interceding for us. He's already, by the way, interceded for us. But he's not done. He continues to intercede for us. First John 2, 1 and 2 says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's, he's making intercession. Hebrews 9.24 says this, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. Hebrews 7.25 says this, consequently he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives, you do know he lives. You do, you do know he lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But you do know he lives. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. And for me, life, somebody help me. Don't leave me out here by myself. It's worth the living just because he's not dead. Just because he is at the right hand of God interceding for me. Because of that, Brother Kimmy, life for me, I don't know about nobody else, but for me, life is worth the living because he lives. Does anybody know he lives? See, for those of you that are visiting, I need to break. Now, we're going to get out of here in just a minute. But I need to say something. You have, you have to excuse me because, you know, they try, to, they try to, you know, encourage. No, I won't say that. I won't say that because nobody's ever said that. I'm not going to tell that lie. But I don't want you to get, I don't want you to get thrown off because you said this dude is loud. And I encourage everybody to be loud. But I know everybody's not loud. So I'm okay with that. That's why diversity is so good. Because you can sit there and listen to me yelling and screaming because I'm passionate about what I do. Because God has brought me from such a long way that it's hard for me to hold my peace. Uh, it's, hard for me, it's hard for me to be a professor. I'm not a professor. I'm, not, I'm, I'm somebody that's been saved by grace. I'm somebody that was at his lowest and God reached down and grabbed me and picked me up and held me in his arms and said, and said you're my child. I love you. And because of that, it's hard for me to shut up. It's hard for me to be calm. It's hard for me because when I think about the goodness of God and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. So I just want to give that disclaimer. Don't leave her saying that dude crazy. I ain't never going back. <laughs> Would you promise me that? Just pray for me. Just pray for me. Just pray for me. If I say all that to say that I encourage you to talk back to me. I like to hear you say something. But if you're one of those that don't like to say nothing, you're all right, too, because I got some. We got some in here that will say something. Right, right, right. From all over, from all over the spectrum. And so all of us are okay. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of departing here a little bit. I promise you, we're going to get out of here just a minute. But I got to say this, right? So all of us worship. And express ourselves to God in different ways. And that's the beauty of having a multi-ethnic, multicultural cultural ministry. 
is that all expressions are welcome. If there's no expression, that's welcome. I'm just sharing with you my personal preference and what I do. You don't have to do that because if some of y'all start yelling and screaming, I'm going to run out of here. <laughs> You're going to scare me. <laughs> but that's okay, right? So, so, so where was I at? I just didn't. Anyway. <laughs> See, <laughs> I know. I know where I was. I'm just joking. He intercedes, and that's the reason why 37 is true, because we have an advocate who's seated right now. And watch this. If you don't watch it, he'll stand up. He may not stay seated. Every now and then, as Stephen, he'll stand up for you. He's interceding. And that's what makes 37 true. And I'm at the last one. It, 37 is true because God is for us. 37 is true because he holds nothing from us. 37 is true because he justifies us. It's true because he intercedes for us. And lastly, 37 is true because God's love is inseparable. God's love is inseparable. Can I take some of y'all back? You know, old school people in here. It's 1975. Chris, <laughs> was a good year. I was 10 years old. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Gave away. Natalie Cole sung a song that came out in 1975. It was entitled Inseparable. Can I share some of the lyrics with you? Here's what it said. It said, Inseparable. Now, now let me say this first. Uh, it's not a gospel song, but I believe the lyrics could easily apply to our relationship with God. It's a secular song. She was singing about her boo. Somebody, somebody, I think it was Chris. Chris, we, I was at Chris's house for a birthday party. He said, I learned something last Sunday. He said, I learned what a boo was. <laughs> I tell you, multi-ethnic ministry is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> he said, I had no idea until you told us what a boo was. Well, I'm telling you again, Natalie Cole was singing to her boo, but I think we can use those same words, Ashley, and apply them to our God. This is what Natalie Cole said. She said, inseparable. That's how we'll always be. Inseparable, just you and me. It's wonderful to know you'll always be around. Incredible what you are to me with your style of love. Inseparable. Yes, we are. Well, like a flower to a tree. There's no way we could break up, no words that can make us blow our thing. We're just inseparable. That's how it is, inseparable for the rest of our years. It's so wonderful to know you'll always be around. Can't you use that as it applies to our relationship with God? Because his love for us is inseparable. Paul lists 17 things that represent the challenges believers face, which also on the surface may seem like valid opportunities for separation from God. In these verses, he lists 17 things. The list of 17 things is not a comprehensive, comprehensive list, but rather his way of saying nothing. He lists these things, and he says, that's my way of saying nothing can separate us from the love of God. Although these things may seem like valid challenges for God's love, Paul says he is convinced. Look at verse 38. 
for I am sure, I am persuaded, I'm no longer just confident, now I am convinced. He says, I am convinced that these things are not valid challenges that would separate us from God's love. In spite of these 17 things and more, God never forgets his children and will never separate his love from us. I just want to give you three final thoughts and we're done. First one is this. We are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors, which means that defeat is not possible. And this statement is true only because of God's unfailing love. And then can I share a quote with you? The last thing. Ren Collective, and I believe it was a song they wrote, said this. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. With you, God, we are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. With you, we are victorious. We are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than that. Through Christ, he loved us. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, for your love, your agape love, your unconditional love, your unending, undying, inseparable love that envelops us, that, that covers us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so fiercely. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let me, let me